0: Welcome to episode 529 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm DeHilfitt, and he's Jaleel, a.k.a. The Purist. And the bad news is, it's the international break again. So that means there's no football to talk about, and we're kind of left with nothing to talk about. But the good news is that we do have things to talk about, and that is another listener question show for you. So, Jaleel, I I feel like this is your first listener question show.
1: It is, and I'm very excited for it. I get so many questions on Twitter and Email if you can believe that. So there's a nice chance to answer some of them. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Well, I did not let people know that you were the guest for the listener question show. So I think that did limit the amount of messages I had to deal with and see. So (laughs) these are some (laughs) of the questions for those who are maybe coming from your channel or anything related to you on social media. These are either from the Patreon on the Barcelona Podcast Patreon. If you are a Patreon and you ask me some question over there, I will. Always see it and always put it in the show. That's a guarantee, 100%. And then everything else is either from the the closed Facebook group or the Discord. So we have questions from all three locations, starting with the one from Patreon, and that is from Peter. And he's got a few here. So we begin talking about DeYoung, somebody who has basically been the one player who has not been criticized over the last three, four weeks, or we've poked a hole in. So DeYoung, we start here, Julio, with Peter saying, we've seen a very good season from him so far. Is this De Young's ceiling? And if not, what would you like for him to improve on? And then adding a question from Eric to that, could the answer to the current issues be as simple as having a healthy Pedri and De Jong, or do you think the problems are much deeper than that, including this idea of De Jong dependence or dependencia whatever you want to say, and justifying De Young's absence as De Barcelona not playing
1: well? Okay, well, let's start with uh, De Jong's performances. Yes, they, they were incredible at the start of the season when he was fit and actually playing. What I really liked from De Jong at the start of this season, as opposed to perhaps last season, was that he was adding a consistent quality in his final pass. I was always a little bit critical of him when he got into the final third, especially maybe playing against some of the lower blocks. Um, and as one of those sort of deeper playmakers, it felt to me that his final pass was a little bit inconsistent, but that was one of the things that he was doing very, very well at the start of the season. Um and that sort of leads on to the next part, which is the idea of dependency, if you like. And I wouldn't say it's a dependency necessarily on Frankie de Jong himself, but, but on some of the qualities that he brings and Pedri brings that maybe some of the other players in the squad don't have. And I think those are exaggerated most um, against the low blocks, which I, I think, you know, we've had this conversation a little bit before, but there are different reasons for faster from, struggling from one game to another. But I would say the most consistent problem is breaking down a low block from a, from a tactical perspective. And uh, when you don't have the players of the caliber of De Jong and Pedri when it comes to finding those creative passes in behind, the way that Xavi wants to break down those low blocks becomes a lot more difficult because a lot of it is about movement. A lot of it is about verticality, um, drawing players out, finding space in behind. And while Gundogan is playing very well at uh, setting the tempo in those deep areas, I don't think he has necessarily the same creative vision, I would say, as as and Pedri. The ability to create solutions sort of by himself um, from, from that deeper position anyway. I think he's excellent further forward. But regardless, uh, yeah, I, I do think a lot of problems would be solved by the reintroduction of those players. Obviously, Pedri came back uh, and was a little bit shaky. In, in the last game. But uh, I just I do think the qualities that they bring are are unique in this squad and and they will solve a lot of problems, yeah.
0: Well, you unfortunately already, or fortunately already kind of delved into a question from Dirk. How can we consistently beat the low block? Used to be a signature move for Mourinho sides. Now it's part of the standard repertoire of any top division team. Personally, I feel we are missing some versatility up front. You know, and, and just trying to, you know, go on what you said. Yeah, I, I think dribbling through the middle and having... A number of different ways to break down that low block, especially in those half spaces, is what I think on paper needs to be done. I mean, the true easiest thing to beat a low block is that the minute they get numbers forward is that you take them down in 1v1 or 2v2 or 3 v situations on the counter, which is, again, why in function, we're not talking about de Malay, we're talking about his profile. In function, that profile is the one that Xavi really wanted, was kind of shocked to be missing And I think one of the big reasons why Lamini Maul and Ousmane Dembele are not the same, they do things very differently, but Lamini Maul horizontally moves the ball very quickly, whether it's the right decision or not, you know, and and he gets his criticism as to all young wingers as to not putting the ball to the feet of Lewandowski when he wants it or whatever it may be. While Lamini Maul is still very young, you could see that the profile in principle of a player that has the ability to take 1v1 on who, in a 2v1 situation, understands the pass he needs to make to move that ball quickly, horizontally. And, I mean, it's the reason why Mall is already in the first team. Basically, be an asset and a resource to break down that low block. And to your point, too, I agree. It's, it's horizontal movement. And I think without Young, and especially without Pedri as well, Gunawan, I think he's... We got some pseudo-questions about his positioning and things, but... When you see him in a deeper position, there are things he doesn't give you. And then when you put him farther upfield, there are things he doesn't necessarily provide to you, but also things he does for you. And I think you're seeing with Oro Romeu, again, that's the issue with Oro Rameu, that those diagonal passes from the, from the jump, I'd say there are things that he does well, but the things he doesn't do well are going to be, we'll say, exasperated over the season. And they've looked 10 times worse without De young because you're just not getting those diagonal balls. When you play Araujo and Kunde next to each other, you're not necessarily getting those diagonal balls from the back. And that's been a bright thing to see about Inigo Martinez delivering those balls in and, and really kind of breaking through those lines in those low blocks horizontally. But yeah, I mean, even, even the movement, when it gets stuck, I find that combination of Lewandowski and Rafinha, it, it just doesn't seem to work in breaking down a low block. But when you, again, against higher level competition or I even mean, even late in the match, having that barrage of players who are just finishers, you know, the best two finishers, I guess, on the team would be, who? Lewandowski and Rafinha, maybe? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, let's get to another question, though, from Peter about Balde. Balde feels like he's regressed a lot since last season, especially his final ball. How do you justify his regression? Why is it so hard to make him good, get good at crossing? Which, I, I don't know if that's true, but I'll, I'll <laughs> leave that with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I've said it so many times when I've come on these shows, is that Balde isn't a winger, and he's being played as a winger. That said... Uh, statistically, he his output has decreased from last year. Obviously, we're talking about a reasonably small sample size of 13 league games and, what's it, three? I don't know however many Champions League games. But it's a small sample size is the point. However, his his output has decreased from uh, 0.2 expected assists per 90 last season to 0.11 0.1, one expected assists per 90. So essentially halved. Now, it is difficult to look at the numbers and, and say why that is because... If your expected assists are down, that could be for a number of reasons. Either, you know, you're positionally, you're not getting into good good places to, to produce or you don't have the the right runs on the end of the passes. What's also true is that he's making more passes into the box, yet he still has a lower expected assists number. So that kind of suggests that the quality that he's delivering is lower or the, the movement inside the box isn't there for him from, you know. Just watching the games, I would say that he's putting the ball into the box too much. He's rushing his his decisions and putting the ball into the box. And that's leading to a higher number of balls into the box, but lower quality on those, on those passes. I think because of the loss of Dembele, he feels a kind of need to... When Barca, you know, as we talk about often, exploit the space out wide, create this, the small the shorter combinations and then find the space in wide areas. He feels he needs to be decisive immediately and make use of that space, but he just rushes it too often. And I think that results in poor quality uh, deliveries. And actually that kind of extends to the previous question about breaking down low blocks. One of the major, major gripes that I've had this season with Barcelona is the serious lack of quality from, from out wide in terms of crosses into the box deliveries. And I know people like to say, oh, cross and pray or whatever, shouldn't be relying on that. But the reality is when you're playing against low blocks, there's such little space to exploit. Sometimes you have to just put balls into the box. That's where the space is in wide areas. You'll see Man City do this even. You know, they've got Haaland for Pete's sake. Um, so, you know, you've got to put balls into the box. It's got to be of high quality. And, you know, the quality hasn't been there. It hasn't been there from Balde. hasn't been there from Lemini Mal, unfortunately, as well, um, in a couple of games, hasn't been there from Felix either in terms of crossing. I mean, so yeah, uh, I think the Balde's output to go back to the initial question is partly on him, but it's a systemic problem, really.
0: When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen, or LeBron and Dwayne Wade? I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol, or Piquet and Mascherano, or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season, you hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention, those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you wanna grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is a global force behind all Birds, Rothy's, and Linen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash tbpod.
2: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
0: Yeah. I mean, I hope you're sitting down, but I think the best use of crosses this season for me has probably come from Marcus Alonso as crazy as that sounds. I mean, defensively, Balde has been so much better and is a starter and obviously you know it 's a weird thing where we 're trying to convince ourselves that we can allow Balde to make these mistakes, but also we don't right Balde is twenty and so to your point about rushing, those are things that you hope that he will learn and improve from I mean the technical ability that he has, the speed that he has, all the physical tools and even the, the, the foundations of the technical skills are there, and he has room and time to grow and improve as long as people are patient to that so To me, I I also would, as I always say, in a second year when someone's in the first team, it's always, as I say, it's not a surprise when you see a little bit of a dip in form because now teams have the full report on you. You're not just some young player that you don't scout or the other team isn't prepared for. Because, as you mentioned, Xavi is missing that right winger. Then on the left side with Balde, that means, as you said, there is a great pressure on him. And there is so much more of an onus to have stuff come down your left side through Balde that it, it seems like, it, he's a crucial part of what they're trying to do, and that means teams are preparing for him in a way that they weren't last season. And I think that's a big difference is why you're seeing why his form has dipped. And the good expectation would be that next season or even in the spring that he gets more comfortable again and he can kind of raise his level to where he needs to be next. This, this is about those progressions. I mean, even even Gabby, like I do think about the, the very nature of that curve, very similar to Gabby, where had his first season. Oh, my gosh, this guy's so exciting. Last season, people were getting a little down on him, and I mean, myself included, when I was like, Well, what is his best skill? What is he adding to these games other than fighting and getting yellow cards and things like that? And then this season, you're seeing that in his third year in the first team, he's really ascended, that being Gabi. And you're, you're seeing it all be put together where the physicality, the fight, and all that is being put with the technical ability, the understanding of the game. And he just understands when and how to be impactful, that being Gabi, this season. 10 times more than he did last year. And that is something you want to see. So I would even look ahead to Balde when he's 21 years old for him to take that next step as well, which is hard. It's hard to be patient with these young players like that. Speaking of young players, but also not, he's 23. That is Jao Felix. Should we be worried about Xiao Felix dip in form?
1: It's a really difficult question to answer because the thing that I've been trying to wrap my head around with this Barcelona team and, and what makes analyzing it so difficult right now is that realistically we haven't seen any consistent version of it. Because of the injuries, because of the absences and and just the nature of Xavi having to um, swap players in terms of their positions, youth players being brought up and so on, we really haven't seen any relationships being established in this team. And that, for me, goes... Is is really underappreciated as, as a reason for a team struggling, because if you look at any team that's doing well, under uh, sorry overperforming expectations, like Girona for example, or Bayer Leverkusen, or it was Arsenal last year, you know the team of the moment, whoever it is, they always always pretty much have a very solid starting eleven. They know who's playing in every position. Relationships can be formed, and movements can be synchronized, and so on. With Joao Felix. He clearly has so much quality. He is a difference maker. You see him, he you can you can give the ball to him and he's in a tight situation and he can spin a defender and make something happen. What's missing is a synchronicity with the players around him. These actions that he's doing seem to be sort of individual. There's no uh, sort of uh, chemistry, if you like, between Xiao Felix and the deep playmaker behind him, which is constantly changing as well, by the way. You know, there are sparks of him playing with Lewandowski, but then, you know, Lewandowski has been, you know, in and out of form as well. So it's kind of me saying, I don't know, <laughs> this entire ramble. But I really think that's the answer. I think we don't know. I think until there is a consistent uh, blueprint for how this team operates, who's taking up what role, you know, is Felix a touchline winger? Is he playing permanently in the half space? Is he doing a bit of both like Ferran Torres was doing a couple of seasons ago? These kind of things make a big difference because it affects when you move and how you move and what runs you make. Do you come short or do you need to be occupying a centre-back? We need to wait, I would say, until we see a consistent version of this team before we can start to make any judgments about really any of the players. And I know that's that's Difficult. Thirteen games in because it feels like a significant chunk, but that's just been the nature of the season so far. It's been very inconsistent, and I'm I'm really waiting to see the the final or at least some consistent version before we make any any decisions like that. Really,
0: well, it's so tough, right? Because we talk about Zhao Fellas Cancelo, and actually, I add Lewandowski to this list because of his age. That those three seem to be, and their dips and forms and ebbs and flows and forms seem to always go under the microscope because there is a verdict that needs to be made about Zhao Felix. Well, financially, who knows if Barcelona can actually make that verdict. But on paper, the idea is that if Zhao Felix is one of the answers and a long-term player for Barcelona, then they have to kind of know that you can trust that player as soon as possible, you know? And at what point in this season is Barcelona going to have to say, okay, there was too many poor performances in this season as po-, or too much lack of adaptation, we should say, and you kind of expect him at his, well, let's say, at what he's paid per week and what he's paid yearly, that he is someone that you're going to say can rise above adaptation, which is pretty absurd to say, but I think there are fair arguments to say that regardless of who Pedri plays with, I think there's a certain level expected already now of Pedri and he has shown you that he could do that. And same thing with even Cancelo, actually I would argue that Cancelo, I mean, yeah, he started well. He's been struggling lately. But as I've said, I'm going to continue to defend Gundogan and Cancelo and Jao Felix in that they have not been rested or rotated at all. They have just been run to the bone under Xavi in the last two months. And I think it's no surprise to see Jao Felix and Cancelo. Yes, it was against the competition in Royal Antwerp and in Real Betis who were always ready to give up goals. I understand we're going already a month and a half ago to, that, to, the, to those games and, and those two 5-0s. But I I also think that right around those performances, I thought Kinsella was good for like the first five to seven matches at Barcelona and his dip and Barcelona's dip in form have worked together in that once those injuries occurred, it's not even about who's missing, but it's also about how many minutes those on the field are playing. And to me, it was just, it was too much. And uh, that's going to continue to be the defense I'm going to make more than I'm going to cry about some kind of huge structural issue and say that if you're missing half the team, it's also going to affect on the players who are playing. Speaking of, Stephen asks, will we see an end to hangover ball? And the way I answer this is actually just looking at the games up ahead. It's Rio next Saturday, Porto on Tuesday, Atletico Madrid the next weekend, Girona the following weekend, and then Antwerp on the midweek. So that's the next five games. And just again, recent history is five games ago was Shakhtar, Clasico, Via Sociedad, Shakhtar, and Alaves. So things can change very quickly. And De Young coming back after the international break, Pedri getting two weeks of fitness. You know, I, I think managers also really do say hey, preseason is important because you get to practice and you get to work on things and you get to work on your fitness behind closed doors. And hopefully Pedri doesn't get hurt <laughs> in the interim in these practices and, and, and fitness sessions as he tries to regain it. But I, I think having two weeks of Pedri trying to regain his fitness, same thing with De Jong, not going out on international duty, that's going to do Barcelona a whole heck of a lot of good. And if anything, yes, you worry about the international break, but I think hangover ball could be over as soon as Against, against Rio on Saturday. And then Porto is must win. So again, you do expect some kind of emotional response for Barcelona at home against Porto for the group in the Champions League. And then it's so, Atletico it Madrid. You know that, or you hope that they're going to be up for that one. And then Girona leads the table. So there are a lot of difficult tests ahead, sure. But there's also reasons for this team to use Rio as your jumping off point to regain your form. And I, I'd be optimistic about it. You know, I think You know, it's tough to say, you know, but they could go out and and, and do poorly. But there's also an argument that these next five games as well could very much decide or define Barcelona's season. I mean, they can't follow the... Well, they can mathematically follow the Champions League. But if you win against Porto, that does a huge, huge... I mean, just a a weight that is lifted. A a huge service to your, your future in the spring and all that. And then, yeah, Atletico Madrid and Girona, you could... That being Barcelona, completely change in a positive way, the Liga, or if they get two L's in those games, like Madrid and Jemona. They could arguably have knocked themselves out of the, the Liga race by, yeah, by the middle of December.
1: Yeah. I, I really think it is very, very important. These next five games and especially Rio. I think once these players are back, there is, there is no excuse after that essentially. So everything I'm saying comes with the, a big caveat, which is that, yes, we're hoping that things click, but if they don't, that's a serious concern. So Rio is the first one. The worrying, potentially worrying thing is that Barcelona, Xavi's Barcelona, seem to always do poorly after international breaks. However, typically they're doing well coming into them. So perhaps the reverse will be the case this time. But yes, I do think that uh, these these next games are the. It's difficult because obviously you're saying, well, you know, we've had all this inconsistency. Maybe it'll take a couple of games to establish something more tangible. But you're also saying, well, results need to come now. It's not really results that needs to come now for me. It's, of course, in the Champions League it is. But in the league, I really wanted to see these next games being used to establish something consistent in the way that Xavi found sort of his right formula after Christmas last season when he arrived on the box midfield. He started playing Gavi as that sort of um, inverted winger and he had the double pivot. It all sort of clicked. You know, Koundé is the right centre-back. That sort of, of, of click needs to happen in the next few games I would say and that's what myself as an analyst is going to be looking for the most more so than the results and obviously as a fan we want to see important results in the Champions League
0: well yeah when we talk about results I think for Alaves that was one of those games where I was really really critical on the five headlines of Barcelona's performance that that is a team and a performance that they they just had to have done better in and while usually I'm saying I'm happy with the result I'm going to change my tune for Atletico Madrid and Girona. I mean, if Barcelona play poorly, but still get a 1-0 over Atletico Madrid, I don't care how that happens. I mean, that team, that matters. Those points are just essential with the ebbs and flows of the Liga table. So uh, yeah, to your point, if Barcelona looks okay and gets three points, no matter what, I'm happy enough with Atletico Madrid. Same thing with Girona. If they get points, regardless of how those points happen, I can kind of live with those points as opposed to, I mean, Rio's tough. Like Rio is, they're going to fight. Like they're, they're, a bit better than Alaves, but very similar team, defensively sound, and more dangerous on the counterattack than Alaves is. So Ryu is not one that you kind of roll your eyes at. And then Antwerp, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, if you're flying high uh, against, uh, or if you wrap up things against Porto, I'm very excited for Antwerp because of the rotation. And some of the younger players who are going to get an opportunity, potentially, even though they've got their own work in the, the Champions Youth You have a Champions League, but we'll talk about that in a second. Pedram asks, how on earth does Xavi expect our right and left-sided attackers to dribble past at least two players to get themselves close to the opponent's goal without a teammate under or overlapping him or them? And I guess let me try to rephrase that in in layman's terms that do you think, Jalil, there's a lack of overlapping or underlapping coming from the wings and the outside backs? And is that actually a game plan or is that just merely this team kind
1: of out of chemistry and out of continuity, as you're you already alluding to. I would say that's been one of my biggest concerns in the last few games is the lack of that movement, actually. I think you know it's all good being in a, a positional structure, but that means nothing if there's no movement. And especially in the wide areas, I've seen it. I watched a couple of games back earlier, actually. It's quite frequent that the ball goes out wide and the interior drops deep instead of making a the underlapping run which happened every single time in that first xavi season it it has felt at times that the fundamental principles are being a little bit not lost but sort of they're not as consistent as they were and i'm not sure why that is it could possibly be a personnel thing. Like I was saying before, players are playing a lot of different positions, especially the midfielders. You know, Gabi and Gundogan are going from being high interiors to being pivots, like week, they're changing week by week, which makes a difference. The The fullbacks also, changing the fullbacks makes a difference. So, you know, in the if you're playing three at the back, a lot of those underlapping runs are going to have to come from fullback or, you know, outside centre-backs, Koundé, Araujo, whoever it is. So if they're used to playing center back then maybe they don't make those runs so you know that's me trying to convince myself that it is a a rotational problem but it it has been a bit of a concern that the movement has been yeah less clear than than it once was which is confusing because that was what was so uh promising about xavi in in the first place was that he laid down these principles and they seem to be non-negotiables non-negotiables for him now, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit less clear. And, you know, we'll see in the next few games whether that is rectified. I mean, it was rectified against Alaves because Kunde started making those underlapping runs. So that was, you know, that was promising. But yeah, I guess we'll see.
0: Yeah, I feel like Xavi had to learn that lesson too, switching Araujo and Kunde back when you yeah. weren't getting... Them. And then when you have right back being Cancelo, I mean, I, one of my biggest concerns is that chemistry between Lamini yemal and Cancelo has been on paper... I don't understand the profile of those two players. That makes sense to me. I go lamini Mall and Cancelo. Oh, that sounds great. Like that sounds like with their technical skill, you can have an overlapping run from Cancelo if you're adding another to the midfield. Or Cancelo, while you know he's not going to necessarily stay out wide, uh, or naturally he wants to be there, he can still make that overlapping run. He has the, the tool to do that. Uh, if you're going to play three at the back, then and especially if you have a Rajo covering for you and Koundé next to him in, in the middle, uh, so on paper you'd, you'd have that opportunity or. I guess yeah you, there's a left center back there in an negro Martina, so yeah, pick Koundé or Rajo one of the two, but you know on paper Cancelo and and lamina mall it just it should work with that combination, and it just doesn't It's like they don't hit the passes that they seem to be able to know how to hit to everyone else, and they just don't seem to to be on the same page, which is just baffling to me, speaking of Xavi, Roche asks, does Xavi need additional coaching help on the bench, and I think another way of saying that one, Julia, would be, do you think at some point? And I, I did talk about on the five headlines about my timeline for Xavi on how hot that seat is going to get and all that stuff. So I don't want to re- rehash that. But as far as Xavi's qualifications, do you think that, again, with what Xavi does bring as a leader of this team, which I think is different than even the managing and the coaching and the, the, the stuff that he's doing with the, the, the whiteboard, on, you know what I mean, and on, on pen and paper, do you think that he needs some help in that department as, again, not having a huge referendum on whether he's the proper leader in all the different ways and all the responsibilities of a manager?
1: I just think that's so hard to say because we don't know what responsibilities those coaches are taking. I, it, it sounds to me just like one of those things that that is sort of spouted because people are looking for reasons to, that the, the team isn't performing well. So they say, oh, you know, the bench is too weak or, or whatever. Obviously, he's got his brother in there, but... Last year, his brother was actually getting praised quite a lot because I, I don't know if this is true, but I heard that he was quite heavily involved in the defensive side of, of Barca's work and that obviously Barca were excellent defensively last season. So it's, it's basically impossible for us outsiders to, to make that judgment, I think. Yeah, it just sounds to me like, you know, we're, we're trying to look for a reason and um, the answer is that we don't actually know, you know, what's going on in that, in that coaching um, dynamic so i think it's just really hard to say to be honest well i i will commend you because
0: i don't know it's the bravest thing you can say on a podcast so, so i'm proud of us when we do get to say i don't know lynchy from the discord channel says should farin be a starter or is he better equipped to be the first man off the bench i mean really i think you're asking i don't know, positionally like where is his best position up top I mean, I think it's a number nine. And if he is a starter, then who's he starting for? Is it Jao Felix on the left side? But that's where he's least comfortable between the
1: right wing and the center. So I don't know. That's a a tough one. Uh, For me, he plays the role of a center forward better than Lewandowski right now, but he has less quality, which is unfortunate. He understands the role better. His movements are better. He doesn't just needlessly uh, drift from side to side and then leave a big gap up front. His, you know, involvement is more considered. He, he understands when he's getting involved and why. He doesn't just do it because he feels like it, which is what it seems to be the case with Lewandowski at the moment. But if you put him in front of goal, Ferran Torres is going to score fewer uh, of the chances that he gets than Lewandowski. So purely because of that, it makes him hard. It makes it hard to, to make him a starter in, you know, any significant game, really. I do think that in the left half space, which is where he's probably had his best spell at Barca, which is when he first signed and he was playing on the left and he had Alba overlapping him. There's just too much competition there now with Jaafel Felix is just a more creative player in that in that department. Pedri is probably going to end up playing there as well when Dion comes back. So uh, it's really hard to put him there. And on the right wing, I, I just don't think he's consistent enough at dribbling pass players. I, I think he, you know, he's he's inferior to Lamini All in that department. He probably is a better deliverer of the ball into the box though. But I just don't think quality wise he, he has the tools to be starting on the right wing. So yeah, it's tough for him because I, I, I like him as a player and I think he offers a lot in terms of his understanding of the game. But quality wise, it's just it's just hard to fit him in there, I think. That was wonderful.
0: I re- I'm going to continue to send people back to that that conversation about Lewandowski and Torres because I think you summed it up perfectly, that Lewandowski starts because of the quality he has. And we even see this season, I know he's scoring less goals, but you look at the goals that he does score when he scores them. And as I've said, it, it's, it's always felt like all of Lewandowski's goals come kind of in these moments when you either the team is playing poorly or whatever it is there's an individual quality that exists in Lewandowski in his finishing even though when you watch build up or you watch the whole 90 minutes you're like ah is that guy running through Jello? what is happening with Lewandowski why is he doing what he does what's with that first touch what's with that thing and then as you said and i the principles of Ferran Torres' movement and what he adds to the team and what he does in build up i think Barcelona is more enjoyable to watch with Ferran Torres yes But results-wise, Lewandowski still scores the goal in quality. So, wonderful way to say that. Really enjoy that. So, Tomas asks, if
1: everyone is fit, what would be the Gala 11 for this team? I mean, that's just so, so difficult. And I've been asked this question so much, and I always... (laughs) try and avoid Absolutely. it <laughs> I, we could do it every week I could I could answer this question every single week I think Frances Tomas used to do this
0: every week he loved this question because he was like I don't have to think about this question I, I just get to basically say the same thing every week or every other week and and we kind of move along that way but
1: I think for me it kind of has to depend on who you're playing against because obviously it's going to change the system but I suppose in principle you have to play um you have to play Araho, uh you have to play i probably go Araujo Christensen at the back, which is probably a little bit controversial, but uh, I have to. The centre backs are all great, so it doesn't matter too much as long as Araujo's in there. Um, Balde at left back, obviously. Cancelo at right back. Um, I think in midfield you have to play. <laughs> I think you have to play De Jong, Gavi, and Gunduan. Um, so basically what's going to happen here is it's going to become a three at the back with a double pivot of Diong and Gavi. is going to push up to the left wing. Ahead of them, you have Gundogan and then Pedri's going to tuck inside from a sort of a left wing position. Um, and then you have probably Lamini Mahal at the moment is the best winger, but he or Rafinha, right wing, and Lewandowski up front. So it's a three, two, two, three, but I don't really like it because I'm not sure that, Pedri is best suited to be playing that role. I think I kind of want him where De Jong is, but you can't have them both there. Um, I, do, I still don't think Balde is, I, I don't think pushing the left back into the left wing position is the way to to best do this system. I think it's better to do what Pep does and have a, a defender or a fullback go into midfield. Um, but based on the profiles of the players and based on the quality I, I think you just have to put those 11 players on the pitch and that's probably the best system to accommodate them, which is kind of a terrible answer because it means that the best version of this team is still not really optimal, is not really what you want, which is a, a, a slight concern, but I, I don't know. People are getting paid a lot more than me to, to figure that one out and they haven't been able to. So <laughs> there
0: you go. <laughs> I, I have no notes. I agree. That was the same 11, same system, same ideas that that I would employ for Barcelona. So Bashir asked, speaking of Barcelona's situations, do you have an update on Barcelona's financial situation? When would the club be able to spend comfortably again? And to answer this one, Bashir, you can see I'm If you're watching, I'm looking at my notes here, because that's what I have to do when we talk about numbers and figures and things like that, because I get very confused very easily. That's why I'm in communications, not necessarily in economics. So the Swiss Ramble is generally on top of this stuff. And if I dive into the numbers, which I do still intend to do, I know people ask me that question all the time. Hey, when are we going to have a financial update? Well, yeah, when I really dig into the numbers and have the time to do that, I will. But I always want to do that right. So I will continue to push that can down the road for a while. But they are out there if you want to jump into them first before I get to them and try to see if you can make any sense of them, but as for when they can spend comfortably again, based on those numbers, I, I think there's generally a, a optimism and pessimism, and there is some kind of line. I know with finances it seems purely cardinal that you know the law is the law and this is the way they're doing it, but I do find that the renovation of the camp no will be completed for the 2025-26 season, or a little more than a year and a half from now which is kind of scary when I see 2025 and 2026, but that's life, I guess, because life keeps on moving. But as I've been saying for a while, because Barca is owned by its members and it's not getting payouts by some huge ownership group or whatever, its revenue is high. FC Barcelona is a major club and its revenue is high, as in the total amount of income generated by everything. But its profit is still worryingly low due to expenses, debts, and operating costs because revenue and, and profit are different. So the idea that Barca are bankrupt or anything, it's always such nonsense. Whenever you see that, that they're bankrupt and, or whatever, that, that is complete nonsense because of the revenue that they continue to generate hand over foot. But they still have huge loans to pay, especially on the Camp Nou renovation that really now taking center stage. And the Polancas, as we know, those levers only boosted the income for last summer. And therefore, you were seeing a tip in profit this season. Which again, the Liga is looking at as to Barcelona being financially viable, as in, are they producing enough income based, based on uh, what they're dealing with profit? And that is why the FFP is so low, even though Barcelona or the FFP is so restricted, even though Barcelona are financially not in any general big concern in the big picture. So if Barcelona, through some act of God, win the Champions League this season... Something that sure pays well due to the TV money, but more importantly, puts you in leverage situations with sponsors and financiers in regards to interest on loans because of the commercial success that comes with the winning the Champions League, which, not even winning the Champions League, but getting far, really just establishing yourself as a gigantic commercial success and kind of turning the tide a little bit on how the media does view Barcelona or beginning to view Barcelona. And I, I, as much as I say that, you never know too, because Barcelona and Real Madrid are still the destination for everybody around the world. It just, Will financiers and sponsors react positively to Barcelona's results? Because again, the better you do, the more money you bring in and the faster you pay off those loans and the lower your interest rates can be and all that boring stuff that we, you know, that we don't really think about in whatever Twitter, X, in the in those small little tweets or whatever are still calling them. But my guess, my guess here is that Barcelona will never be able to spend with the EPL without a super League from here on out. I, I don't think that changes for the next however long. Until a Super League does come into effect, I believe in the next 10 years. But they will be healthy enough financially to, I would say, go after at least one player for around 70 to 90 million and one player for around 20 to 40 mil every season as a big fish with smaller fish possible too. By we can assume 2025, 26, once everybody, or I guess, but January of 2026, you'd say, once everybody is back in the stadium and you're doing hopefully the teams have a success in flying high and success does matter so if you're getting 85 to 100,000 people in that new stadium and they're paying it off and the museum and it just Barcelona is a commercial success because as i've said many many times like the tourism matters to Barcelona's bottom line it weighs that it doesn't to EPL teams a lot a lot of the cases as well as the gate revenue. Gate revenue is so essential to Barcelona. So they knew they were going to take this big hit. I I don't think that the club is in any way surprised at where they are. It's just their COVID threw that whole plan into havoc. And then the year since then, they've tried to do everything they can to try to recoup something, but the camp new renovation was always going to happen. So as far as when will the club be able to spend comfortably again, I would say conservatively that it's going to be two and a half, three years, but I would say optimistically potentially by not next January, what would that be? Well, the coming January 2024, next year, but I'd say about a year and a half is when you could start to look to Barcelona to be, we'll say, healthy enough with their, their loans and, and, and the profit and revenue all being in the green. That would be my guess. I, Jalil, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Absolutely nothing, no. <laughs> fin- finances are not my uh, my arena. So yeah, that was, that was perfect. Mine either. <laughs>
0: Why neither, take me too long. Okay, so I know that was a long answer from me, but this one is even longer, unfortunately. Pancho asks, with all the bad results of the first team, I feel like we are forgetting that Barca Athletic are playing well. Which player do you see making the step up to the first team? And which players do you see moving out in the summer to other clubs? Okay. I, I mean, here's what I got from this. Barca Athletic is playing well. They're second in the table behind just Cultural Laanessa, who they are on Sunday playing. But before I go into the deep dive and I go through individual players by player, I, I'm going to ask you a, a portion of this question, Delio, and it's a matter of too much youth in the team. With the young players that do exist in the team, and whether we want to call Gabi still a young player is, I would say, almost up for debate. But when you still have players, as I just mentioned, Balde kind of making his strides, and Lamini Mall making his strides, and occasionally seeing other players and integrating new faces as well with Shao Felix, do you think this team already is too much youth, or do you think Shabi could still inject? other young players into this
1: team. There, there is enough youth in this team, I think, from my perspective. the One of the major reasons why Barca struggles in important moments and has over the past couple of seasons is because for all the quality that we talk about, there is just not enough experience. And that matters. It's uh, something that when you're detached from the reality of football and you're just watching figures on a screen running around, you don't think it makes any difference. But these are real people, the real life experience. And, you know, you're a very, very, very different person at 35 than you are at 18 or 17 or whatever. So, well, I'm not 35 yet, so I can't say that for sure. But <laughs> I know that I'm a different person now than I was 10 years ago. So, realistically, with Gabby and Pedri and Laminimal and uh, Famine, it's just, uh, it's enough. It's enough. And I think what we now want to see is this squad maturing together. And, you know, in, in another couple of years, maybe that, you know, if there's somebody good enough, then for sure you can look at bringing somebody in. But you don't need to be searching for for any more youth talent at the moment, I would say.
0: Well, it does create a problem, too, because the best news about Barcelona, is some of the best players for them are the youngest players and the ones that the club would want to do well, the ones that they want to invest in. And as you said, I'll add that, not everybody can make it. And because of how young the squad already is, it's difficult to find enough minutes. And, you know, even if there are more young talents that, than we've seen in a very, very long time, because I do think that that crop that is still even waiting for minutes it, is the most talented I have seen since I've been covering Barcelona for 10 to 12 years. I mean, that is how good these players coming from the academy in a very, very similar generation. We're talking, you know, 2005, 6, 7, and, and even 2008. So there are literally, though, as you said, only so many first team minutes to go around. And the number of minutes that Xavi can afford to give to inexperienced, but very talented kids is even smaller. So even if they're good enough, there may not be enough chances for everybody. Barcelona has so many good young players that it is a bit of a numbers game. And I do find it difficult. And we're looking even positionally to say, I don't know how they're going to get minutes at that position. And you're going to basically have to say, if you, oh, there's three young players still coming up in the next three to four years. You'd say, maybe you'll have to pick one because like, I can't imagine you're going to get more than just the one for as many minutes. And so I'm going to go through the different categories here, starting up top. With Vita Roque at 18 coming in to be the future number nine, I do wonder if Mark Yu, who is 17, or Oscar Gustau or Tony Fernandez, who are still both 15, will they get a proper chance of the next few seasons? Thankfully, as I mentioned, Gustau and Fernandez, those other two are young enough that you don't really have to worry about their first team minutes until they're 19 or so. So that's four years from now. That's plenty of time. By that time, Vito Roque is still 22, but you maybe do have some backup minutes, and Lewandowski by that time will surely have moved on. So I would say put a pin in that with, with the center forward position, but Vito Roque is being bought to be the future at that position. On the wing, Alarcon is still floating around, and if he stays healthy in the second half of the season, he actually might be the answer to this question that I could see with the way that Xavi already had him in the team last season. And with his ability to, on paper at least, be very fair and Torres is, ish, but He does have a little bit more of a green light to kind of run at people and he can run in behind well, understand space well. And I could see Xavi using him for 10, 15 minutes off the bench, depending on the rotations and and winger depth as the season goes on. Hopefully you don't get any injuries. And then Danny Rodriguez has been the best player in the UEFA Youth League. He's 18 for the whole season. So he's not even 19 until next year. But I wouldn't be surprised if he gets an invite to training camp next season and at least another year or two on him. And then Juan Fernandez is 16 and is as good as a left winger too with that very talented group. So who knows about his future? And then at attacking midfield, this is really the first time when I have that question about saying, you got to pick some. There's Unai Hernandez, Alex Garrido, Noah Darvish with Barça Athletic, and then Crystal Munoz, Kim Jeanette, and Guy Fernandez are with the U19s. And they all have really high potential. Like all of these players are really exciting players that in a normal year, I'd say, oh, that's the kid where I've just named you six players. So as much as I like Garrido and Unai Hernandez, who are 18 and 19 respectively, my money is on Darvish and or Guy Fernandez because they're 16 and 15 respectively. So by the time Barcelona might look to the academy for another attacking midfield or high interior prospect, I'm saying that might be two or three years out, which would be Darvish at 19 or Guy Fernandez at 18 or 19. So I mean, I'm only picking those two players because they're the highest potential and the youngest at that position that you might see. So as far as who might be moved out this summer, even, I do consider keeping the future of Marc Casado in mind here because he turned 20 in September, which is still so young. And this might be a do or die summer for him based on him becoming a professional. And, you know, I just don't see him getting the opportunity with Barcelona, even though I think he's going to be a first team player somewhere and very useful in for a Liga team, likely. So... Barcelona won't be able to afford Mascardo and likely over the summer can't afford a big name like Zubamendi either. But as far as the pivot position from the academy, it's Pau Prim, Marc Bernal, or both, as in those two instead of Casado. But if Oro Rimeu, let's say he's moved out in January to, back to Girona, which I can't imagine that's going to happen, and I don't think he does, that might be Casado's one and only opportunity for Barcelona if he doesn't stick around. But again, if Barcelona find that Romeo next year isn't the answer, and they want to bring in somebody younger, I think they are going to spend 10 to 15 mil just on some guy 23 to 25 and really take a, a jump there and then kind of wait for Pau Pridim or Marc Brunel to be the guy at, at the pivot position, which, as we know, is so essential. But you do have good one next season and Pedri and Gabi and De Jong. So you do have four midfielders that we're, we're gonna, are going to instantly start over any other pivot basically that Barcelona is going to bring in uh, potentially in, in their system as you said, even though it doesn't entirely make sense. We're almost done here. Now on the back line, left back, Albert Navarro is also doing well with the U19s. I got a Barca athletic call up at 16. But for left back, I'm looking at Alex Valle, and this is a serious thing. is on loan at Levante, having a decent season. And my only question about Alex Valle and, and Balde next season, together, when Alonzo likely has moved out, I'm really wondering if Barca goes with two 20-year-old, or I think Alex Valle might be 21 next season. But anyway, Uh, sub 21 left backs for a whole season. Is that something that Barcelona is going to trust? And as I talk about kind of moving that with the right back position as well, who knows what happens with Cancelo, but a right back is nothing but good news as well. I think for the future, Jordan Araujo is doing really well at Las Las Palmas. Segino Des is doing well enough to be sold to PSV and Hector Fort has been the starter under Rafa Marquez at 17 and is doing really well with Barca Athletic. So between Araujo or Fort, I think one of them gets a first team spot next season. And the other likely doesn't. And Fort Likely is young enough to stay with Barca Athletic next season as well and kind of bide his time there. And then Araujo, if he doesn't return and get a spot, he'll likely be sold. And that'll be right back. And so I won't do goalkeeper here, but center back, that is where this whole conversation about too many talented players for minutes in the first team, or even next three to five years. I mean, with the continuity that exists with center backs, it is an absolute logjam and players that are probably good enough for the Barca first team, that being the FC Barcelona first team, won't get the chances they need over the next few seasons to become first team players. Mamadou Fall likely won't be bought outright. He'll be sent back to LAFC. Again, not because he does anything wrong. He has one goal from one game so far after finally getting cleared to play and there's a force at the back. But between Faye and Pau Gabarsi, Barca has two center backs more than ready to go and become contributors to the first team, and Gabarsi is still just 16. Then with the U-19s, you have Avaro Cortez, who's fortunately out for the year, Iman Cospo, who is 16, and Andres Cuenca, who is also pretty good and with the the U-17s at the World Cup. That's five center backs that I've been impressed enough to say, even at their ages, that they have major first team potential. But Kubarsi is the only one of that group that I can confidently say will get enough minutes, likely with Xavi's already been named to the bench, to carve out a role with the first team in the next two to four years. I mean, Lamassi is up and up, especially at the center back position. So I could see that being an issue. And Barcelona also, this seems to be their new thing that they're doing very much like what a lot of these major clubs are trying to do that they weren't doing for a lot of years. And that was looking out on the, because they can't afford first team players, they are looking out to find these gems and are willing to hit and miss. And they are willing for four to eight mil, whatever it is to kind of, yeah, swing and miss on some of these talents and say, Hey, we are going to pick one of these five, for the next two to three years to fill up that position. So apparently Barcelona has already agreed with Mali's U17 right winger, Ibrahim Diara, who turned 17 in December. So eligible to come to Barcelona as an 18 year old next January. And that's a move that Barcelona usually doesn't do. They usually don't dip into, you know, especially even the African market, but including the the South American market as well. We see with Vitor Roque, you know, being 18 that he was viable to come over when he turned 18, but Barcelona usually doesn't go, you know, fifteen or sixteen or seventeen, whatever. Like they don't do a Kennedy Paez, who is an Ecuadorian young player that Chelsea have already signed and he'll be there in two and a half years. And you just you never know with teenagers. That's that's certain. But of what I've seen of these young players, you are gonna see I'd say three of these players that I just mentioned of all those names, I can almost guarantee by twenty twenty six, three of those players will have first team minute first team jersey numbers. But yeah, it's just there are going to be players who are good enough to Barca's first team that are not going to get the opportunities, and their development is going to stall, and things change, and injuries. Who knows? Are, are there any of these names, Julio, that I said because I said a billion of them that really jump out to you who in the next two to three seasons could potentially get a first team role at Barcelona?
1: Uh, I haven't really been, you know, paying that close attention to Barcelona's Athletic, so I, I, I'm probably not best placed to say it. But what I will say is that I think, you know, generally with these things, sort of your last sentiments there really is that things change so much and can change so quickly and when we're talking about 16 17 year olds you know it's so hard to project really i think ultimately you know you do need a lot of luck you need the right injury to happen in the first team or whatever it is but when you're talking about the the barcelona first team to actually you know cement yourself there for a, for a, any extended amount of time and make a career there you have to be so 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 exceptional that really it it it's hard to ignore the types of players that make that jump you know pedri as as a 18 19 maybe even 17 i can't remember was so exceptional that you know it didn't matter what kind of competition was ahead of him he was going to displace them and i think sometimes you know it, that that just ends up being the case and you know players can still make incredible careers there's so many players in the league now that i i see and I'm like oh he was he played for Barcelona a few years ago but it's just the nature of of La Masia and yeah, it's, I think, you know, it's, it's exciting, though, that, that there's so, ma- so many prospects, um, and I'm certainly looking forward to seeing who of those many ni- names eventually makes it.
0: Yeah, I think, the, to your point, the, the, the safe bet is always to look at, the, look at a game and say, that kid was the best, and it was. I, I watched Los Palmas uh, one or two times in the second division when Pedri first got his call-ups when he was 15, then 16 years old. And you could say that kid is the best player on this field in the second division at four last like that kid, 15, 16. And Gabi was the same way when he was with the U playing with the U, what was it? nineteens? when he was 15 or whatever, you'd still say even four or five years younger, that kid is the best player on this field right now. And to me, again, I, I say Gubarsi just because watching even some of the U 17 highlights that I can find and uh, as much of those games as, you know, that. I'm not going to say how I'm watching those videos, uh, th- those games, but Kubarsi to me is the one I go, that's the best player on the field here. That's the kid. So of all the other kids, I, I said Bernal I'm high on and whoever, I mean, there are, that's the kid I go, okay, he's just Barcelona's not going to let that one go. He's too good for Barcelona to not give him an opportunity in the next, even next season already at the age of 17. I just think he's too good. So yeah, it's, it's so hard. And again, it's about a need Barcelona for, they needed young midfielders. And so here comes Gabi and, and then Elis Moriba had, uh, Eli had come up at the time. So that's what they needed at the time. And those are who, who kind of comes up. That's why I said for left back and right back, those are the positions I say, hey, I mean, Barcelona might be really young at those two spots because that's what they are going to need. That's what they do need. And I could easily see those young players kind of getting an opportunity because the, the minutes and opportunity is there. All right, last thing to do and last question for you, Jaleel. What have you been cooking up And what can people go on your channel right now and watch?
1: Well, I've been cooking up some non-Barca related content, really. Um, The last video I published was on Roberto de Zerbi, which was uh, a project that I was working on for ages. But I just find him a fascinating character and a fascinating tactician. So you can find that video about the philosophy of Roberto de Zerbi on my channel. Um, And yeah, I'm going to be... This next period of games for Barcelona after the international break, I'll be turning my attention back to Barca because of, you know, like we said, how important it's going to be for the establishment of the of this side for this season. So yeah, you can look forward to that. And yeah, I'll, uh, I mean, I'm also covering, you know, Brazil as always as well. So, you know, if any, any Brazilians listening, then come on over and we got Brazil tactical analysis. But yeah, it's going to be Barca after that.
0: All right, hardest question will be the last one. Zarbi in five years, what do you see him managing?
1: Probably, probably City. If Pep does move on, I think though. yeah, I think it makes sense.
0: Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say that. That it was, it was part of. It I was like, I, but again, we know football, so we know that obviously Chelsea is going to spend twelve bazillion. And I don't even know what the word would be. <laughs> to, to you know, <laughs> to get him. Or, I don't know. Man, Man, Manchester United will maybe have. Parted with Ten Hog by that time. And they want to dive their heels. But anyway, that's for that's for a different different talk or even a different show someday. Um, but again, thanks for the pure purists for always coming on. Um, for those one or two people who don't follow him on his channel or uh on social media, you you kind of know where to find him. Again, his channel's the best place again to watch his content and find his stuff. Again, the questions from this listener show, Patreon, I will guarantee you your questions will be answered here. And if you ask a question, by the way, if you're a Patreon and it's not a listener question show, I sometimes will bring those up and use those as the main topics of our shows as well. And then Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, that's the other place to find us. But closed Facebook group, that's the other place where you can answer the questions. I, I let you into the group. And then you can ask those questions when I put out the prompt. Same with Discord. Discord, and that's also free. So really easy way just to join Discord in the link and let you in there. And you're all good to go when I put out those, those question prompts. So a good rating on the podcast apps. Also very helpful and subscribing to this YouTube channel as well as Dula is also a huge help. It's again the best way for us to boost those numbers, so we can talk to sponsors and things like that, uh, and that helps us out. Most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Course of our time.